Hello and welcome to the Unorthodoxy podcast. I recently put up two recordings of talks that I gave on the topic of persuasion. The one was called Mob Gods and the other one was called Hijacking Minds. As you may have gathered, I really like a good title. Also, you would have gathered that I find the topic of persuasion very, very interesting. So in this episode, what I have to say fits in quite nicely with what I covered in those talks. I want to talk about Star Wars, authority, and conformity, although not necessarily in that order. In my explorations on the critique of ideology, the issue of conformity to authority is a pretty big deal, and Star Wars, I think, fits into this, Um, but I'll get to how it does that in a bit. So let's start with the issue of conformity. Think of a this very simple scenario. Imagine that you're completely alone and of your own free will, you step into a very crowded place and then out of the blue at the top of your lungs and with great seriousness, this would be quite important, you decide to start singing your favorite song very, very loudly so that the people around you cannot help but hear you. You're singing in this scenario in a way that makes it out that you're performing for a crowd, but Obviously, what you're doing really is messing with the status quo. You treat the scenario differently than how everyone else is treating it. You act as if the world really is a stage and the men and women in it are merely players. Think of doing this on a bus or on a train or at a family gathering without any kind of prompting or warning. What will probably happen is that the people around you will stop what they're doing and stare at you. And you know you're doing it just as an experiment, just as a bit of fun, but the people around you won't know this. What you have done in this scenario is you have challenged a social construct. Now, if you're vaguely like me in any sort of sense, doing this sort of thing, this singing obscenely loudly in a public space without any warning or apparent excuse will be incredibly difficult. Which begs the question, why? Well, social psychologists would say that it has something to do with unconscious group rules. Being in a place with other people creates a rule or expectation that we will unconsciously follow. Everyone seems to conform in some way to these rules. If everyone, say, on a subway train is sitting quietly keeping to themselves, a person who starts belting out I will survive or some other horrible pop song at the top of their lungs, is someone who is violating the group rule. That's the rule of the crowd. That person has, in the process, singled themselves out as a freak. And they're not following the norm. The result, most probably, is that the people listening in or watching this odd solo performance may start looking around and wondering, is this a dare? Did this person lose a bet? Is this person insane? That They would be looking for a way to legitimate this bizarre behavior. If someone acts strangely, there must be a cause, right? And the weird thing is that in some kind of way, all behavior is actually kind of strange. But we're not aware of the strangeness of what is actually normal. To expand on this idea, it's helpful to refer to a really lovely parable. This is one that Anthony DeMello tells. The story goes that one day a chicken farmer found an egg near a barn. And thinking it must be a chicken's egg, he took it and put it in the nest of one of the hens in the barn. Only later did he discover that an eaglet, not a chick, had hatched from the stray egg. So wanting to see what would happen, the farmer didn't intervene. 
and so the eaglet grew up with the chicks, scratching at the ground and clucking as they did. I can't imagine a clucking eagle, but that's a the idea of the parable. Anyway, so one day, when he was very old, the eaglet, who was now an eagle, saw a bird flying high above him, and he asked one of his friends, who's that? The friend, chicken, said, oh, well, that's that's a king of the birds. That's the eagle. He belongs high above the ground in the sky. We, on the other hand, belong to the ground or on the ground because we're chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken because that's what he thought he was. It's a bit of a sad story, but I think it's quite powerful for a number of reasons. I tell it here because it reminds us, it reminds me of a potent and alarming truth, which is that we naturally conform to whatever our group, the group we're in, decides is normal. Of course, this sense of normal can be a profoundly good thing. It's good, for instance, when people agree to say not go around randomly killing other people or maltreating animals. Normalcy can be a way of judging what is ethical, although I would hasten to add it's not the only way to do this. And it's a good thing that we agree to to justice or equality or free speech, but some of our norms may in fact be arbitrary, like for instance our ideological commitments, our preferences for a certain type of movie, or our sense of what is good or bad in fashion choices. The trouble happens, or at least the potential for conflict happens, when people confuse what is genuinely ethical with what is in fact arbitrary. When people assume that something that is really a matter of taste is a matter of moral importance. Of course, there's also a problem when people assume that something that is a matter of moral importance is really a matter of taste. And these confusions happen all the time. This is not easy stuff to sort out, obviously, either existentially or philosophically. And I'm not planning to sort it out here for you because I'm not your mama. What I am interested in here is just the basic idea of conformity, which is this question of what is it that compels people to adopt a stance or an ideology? What persuades people to do this? And it's clear to me that one of the biggest influences in shaping the way that people end up conforming to something or to anything is something that we know as authority. This, then, is the second issue that I want to deal with here. Authority. This is perhaps nowhere more powerfully demonstrated than in Stanley Milgram's famous experiment he called it the dynamics of hierarchical relationships experiment, but because that's an irritatingly long name, we're just going to call it Milgram's experiment. I'm not going to explain the whole experiment here, but you should really check out the details on Wikipedia or even better, try and find some time to watch the recent film Experimenter, which is so wonderfully provocative. And it deals with some of Milgram's other ideas, including the one about singing loudly in a crowded space. The gist of the experiment is that Milgram demonstrated that simply telling people that an experiment required them to, even if they were highly distressed, most people would administer high-voltage shocks to an unseen victim. Just by being told, they would carry out something that was potentially life-threatening. After setting up and carrying out this experiment, Milgram wrote this. He said, Ordinary people, 
simply doing their jobs and without any particular hostility on their part can become agents in a terrible destructive process. Moreover, even when the destructive effects of their work become patently clear and they are asked to carry out actions incompatible with fundamental standards of morality, relatively few people have the resources needed to resist authority. And that's the end of the quote. That one phrase in what Milgram says particularly interests me, the resources needed to resist authority. What are these resources? I'm going to suggest one towards the end of this talk. Um, But I just want to talk a little bit more about the relationship between authority and conformity to help show that authority and conformity are not often about explicit rules or social processes. Authority and conformity are often implicit in the scenario that we happen to be in. And this is where Star Wars fits in. So Star Wars merchandise is everywhere. You can get Star Wars board games, computer games, PlayStation games, t-shirts, disappointingly ineffective lightsabers, pens, Legos, keyrings, Star Wars branded moleskin journals, figurines, costumes, and a whole lot more. The cultural footprint of Star Wars is a force that is definitely strong with us. It's as if all these cultural objects have become objective confirmations of the authority of the Star Wars franchise. These artifacts act like clear proofs that, well, that you must be a Star Wars fan, or that Star Wars is so good that if you don't like it, there must be something wrong with you. If that's not the explicit message, uh, it's definitely something that seems implicit in these consumer products or objects. Whatever the quality of the films, whether the original episodes 4 to 6 or the later very, very awful episodes 1 to 3 or the computer games or the new episode 7, whatever you may actually think of the film franchise seems almost immaterial. The authority of the film is affirmed simply by the ubiquity of Star Wars products and merchandise. This acts as a kind of proof of conformity. Everyone is a fan, even if they're not. I'm not saying that Star Wars is good or bad. I think that's a that's a different question, and I think it's a question that that's it would be simplistic to answer just with a uh, yes or no. I'm just talking about how much harder it will be to voice a negative opinion when the consensus seems already to have been reached. My point is that authority is not so much something we sign up to, submit to. Rather, it's it's something that we seem to conform to by default. And this is, again, this is not always negative, but, but how does it feel when you know that your opinions are really being chosen for you without your conscious awareness? That's a question that I think we need to chew on. And there are other implications that need to be noted here too. I think there are probably too many implications to name, but I'm going to just point out some of the most immediate ones. The first is that authorities, especially the most dangerous ones, I think, present themselves as being obvious. People follow most blindly when authority is equal to the norm, the expectation, the rule, the crowd, the merchandising, the mass media, and so on. Maybe this has something to do with a kind of evolutionary imperative, a kind of safety in numbers. If history has taught us anything, it's that people that stand out of the crowd, stand apart from the crowd in minority groups, these people are most likely going to be victimized at some point. 
Then another implication is that authorities tend to appear as self-enclosed, immutable, and uncontestable systems. So for instance, Milgram's experiment sets up the experiment itself as the authority. And in the world of the experiment, things operate in a particular, fairly predetermined way. It's a bit like the rules of the game of tennis. The rules presume their own obviousness. You must, for instance, use a tennis racket and not a stick of dynamite to obliterate your opponent. It's very difficult to have a game with someone that you've just blown up. You must use a specific kind of hollow ball, not a badminton shuttlecock um, or a block of cheese. There are particular rules that we assume are just there and they're the way they should be. But the reality is that no matter how authoritative the authority presumes it is, it exists as part of a world. What this means, by and large, is that the self-enclosure and immutability and uncontestability of the authority is largely an illusion. Interruptions to the authority are possible. These can be good or bad, right or wrong. And this is why in history, rebellions and revolutions exist. And they do exist violently or peacefully. I, I'm pretty sure revolutions have tended to be violent. Such things presume to challenge the authority because of an awareness that the supposed normalcy of the authority is as much a construct as the merchandising of Star Wars is. Yes, it has the power of ubiquity, but it is not a genuine source of legitimacy, a thing is not true simply because people consent to it. Again, truth is not assured by consensus, not in the least. It just means everyone agrees, not that everyone is right. Which points to the final implication of this that I want to talk about here. Since we will always serve an authority, we must have a choice about which authority we will submit to. In other words, it's not an issue of whether or not we will submit to an authority, that is guaranteed. The issue then is which authority? Because everyone follows someone. But understanding which authority we submit to and how we might choose which authority we should submit to requires awareness. This is, I think, the tool, the key tool needed to not be caught up in, in believing or going with the wrong authority. This may seem simplistic, but I think it gets us at least facing in the right direction. Awareness is our greatest weapon against being abused by authority. It's also our greatest ally when it comes to being ethical. I think one of the participants uh, in Milgram's experiment had it absolutely right. After he'd participated in the experiment, he wrote a letter to Milgram. And this was, I think, two years after he'd been in the experiment. And the letter said this. While I was a subject in 1964, though I believed I was hurting someone, I was totally unaware of why I was doing so. Few people ever realize when they're acting according to their own beliefs and when they're meekly submitting to authority. To permit myself to be drafted with the understanding that I'm submitting to authority's demand to do something very wrong would make me frightened of myself. Okay, so here in the letter, sorry, little interruption. This guy was actually talking about the fact that he was, he decided not to be drafted into the army. Um, and he, because he had this fear of submitting to the wrong authority, and he said, he continued, he said, I'm fully prepared to go to jail 
if I'm not granted conscientious objector status. Indeed, it is the only course I could take to be faithful to what I believe. My only hope is that members of my board act equally according to their conscience. I think this is so brilliant. This guy, just by participating in Milgram's experiment, even if he was traumatized by it, he became aware of what he was doing. He was aware that there was this tendency in him, in all of us, to merely submit to authority, even when the authority violates or violated conscience. And it was that thing, that participation that gave him the courage not to participate in an unethical war, even if it meant that he would end up in jail. Obviously, we cannot overlook the fact that this guy, by standing against the crowd and the law, in fact risked persecution. That threat, the threat of punishment or hell or trouble or excommunication, is one of the ways that conformists ensure conformity. But well, maybe maybe that threat is precisely the reason that conformity to such an authority should be challenged because at root it only reveals the authority to be fundamentally malevolent and not in any way good. It also reveals the authority to be fundamentally weak, anxious and afraid. It's actually the authority that would have nothing to fear that would be the one that would be willing to engage in debate and conversation. It's a fearful authority that refuses the voice of the other, the voice of doubt or reason or common sense. So in summary, we first have have to look at this issue of conformity. We all tend to conform to patterns of behavior and belief that have already been set up for us even before we've begun to understand them. Then second, we have the issue of authority. Authorities are more easily trusted simply because they're authorities. And this, for me at least, raises the question of belief. It seems to me that belief is pervasively felt by a lot of people, not as a matter of love or conscience, but as a matter of conformity. It's it's more of a matter of fitting in than a matter of doing what is right. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that conformity is always bad, But it should not, I think, be the central matter that guides what we're willing to accept or not, or what we're willing to live or not. What's weird to me about the world now, especially the world controlled by mass media, is that belief is often mediated in a way that it becomes unacceptable to differ from whatever the status quo is that you happen to be confronted with. This applies to religious contexts as much as it applies to irreligious ones. And to me, this avoids the question of conscience or experience or the question of love. So I know I'm going to leave you a little bit in the lurch. I'm not going to conclude this little exploration completely properly. But I do want to leave you with a few questions that will maybe spark some thoughts. What if everything you believe has been the result of a context, whether in simplistic reaction to it or in simplistic agreement with it? Then what if everything you accept, live and breathe has to do with conformity to a larger group? What if there is another paradigm according to which belief could work? Maybe an inner inner experience, a deeper way of knowing that goes beyond facts and propositions? I think these are questions worth asking.
So keep asking and keep questioning and have a really lovely day. Thanks so much for listening in.